passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Father, we are so very grateful for the fact that you speak to us and that you have much to say to us. And God, as we approach this psalm, we ask that you would come. We ask that you would stir our affections. You would stir our hearts to love you more, to desire you more. And God, that the things of this earth would fade in significance and importance, God. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, uh, Pastor Stephen spoke, and we began a a short sermon series on the book of Psalms, just spending a a little bit of time on the Psalms this summer. And uh, if you're familiar with the book of Psalms, you're aware that it has about 150 chapters in it. And we're not going to spend 150 weeks uh, in this book. And so what we're doing is we're jumping around a bit and we're trying to highlight uh, some of the different uh, emotions, some of the different uh, truths that you can find in the Psalms. Last week, Pastor Stephen spoke on practical atheism and uh, shared from Psalm 10. Psalm 10 is a warning for the wicked and it's assurance for those who are oppressed. In the 4th century, a pastor named Athanasius actually described the book of Psalms this way. I love it. It's so beautiful. He said this, Whatever your particular need or trouble, from this same book, you can select a form of words to fit it, so that you may not merely hear and pass on, but learn the way to remedy your ill. Another pastor from the 1500s described the book of Psalms as an anatomy of all parts of the soul. He described it this way. He said, there's not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious of that is not here represented as in a mirror. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has drawn to the life all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which the mind of men are wont to be agitated. The book of Psalms is a beautiful book because it is filled with every single emotion that we could ever experience. The book of Psalms gives us the words to express our joy when we are worshiping God. And at the same time, the the book of Psalms gives us breath. And it gives us hope when we are in the midst of despair, when we are downcast, and when we are despondent. And this morning, we're actually going to look at one of those psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 42. Psalm 42, you may be familiar, at least with the first couple verses of this psalm. It is a psalm that focuses on the problem of spiritual depression, on the problem of spiritual dryness. Maybe you've experienced this before. And if you've been a Christian for very long, you're probably familiar with what I'm talking about. Because this side of heaven... We will always experience the ebb and the flow of our affections for God. There are times when we feel close and intimate to God. And that there are also other times where we feel distant from God. Where we feel dry in our spiritual life. Where God seems to be absent in our lives. And we find it tough to pray. Tough to read God's word. Even tough to get anything out of a Sunday morning sermon. We're calling this spiritual depression. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not suggesting at all that this is the exact same thing as clinical depression. 
This is not in any way a medical diagnosis. I'm not saying that you shouldn't seek medical help and just pay attention to what this psalm says. That's not at all what I am trying to say. Spiritual depression can really be summed up as a lack of joy in following God. A lack of desire to follow God. An acute awareness of his absence in your life. Perhaps you've experienced it in the past. Maybe you're in the middle of it right now. If I'm going to be honest with you, I feel like just now I am getting out of a funk, out of a spiritual depression that seems to have lasted since Easter of this year. It is a very real thing that affects us where we feel like we're far from God. If you're like me, you find yourself in the thick of this distance from God, then I have good news for you this morning. The words of Psalm 42 are words of hope, and they are words of joy. They don't necessarily provide a solution for us. They don't say, just do X, do Y, and then do Z, and then you'll be completely fine and better in a week. That's not what this psalm tells us, but it does give us permission to wrestle with God. It does give us permission to hurt as we wrestle with God and to long for something better in our relationship with God. As we study this psalm, we're going to see that there are really five different commitments that the psalmist makes. Five different things that the psalmist commits to do as he battles against his spiritual depression. And I think that these exact same commitments are good and important for us as well as we seek to fight for joy in God. And perhaps you're not in that spot right now. Maybe you're on cloud nine in your relationship with God, that you feel like God is walking right beside you. You've never felt closer to him than you are right now. And I praise God for that. But if you're not in that spot right now, these words are for you. Indeed, if you feel like you are close to God, I encourage you to grab a giant bookmark and put it in Psalm 42, because you will come back to it someday. And what a hope and relief it is to have the words of Psalm 42 to encourage us, to speak hope to us in the midst of our despair and in the midst of our spiritual depression. This morning we're going to do something a little bit different. I invite you to stand and we're actually going to read Psalm 42 together. Uh, it is printed in your bulletin and it's also going to be printed on the screen behind me. We're using the ESV version. Uh, well, that was redundant. The English Standard Version version. Sorry about that. And uh, we're just going to read this as our prayer to God uh, this morning as we approach this text. So please join me in reading aloud Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep 
at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at this text, I mentioned that it is a powerful one that addresses spiritual depression. How do we get out of the desert of spirituality in our lives? But before we do that, I think that it is appropriate to take a few moments and just look at some of the causes, some of the reasons why we can sink into this spiritual depression, some of the reasons why we can lose our joy in God. In the early 1900s, there was a pastor... His name was Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. And it was actually a book, a couple hundred pages long, written on this passage, on Psalm 42, wrestling through the things that we are talking about this morning. And in that book, he spends a, a chapter or so talking about the different causes. And his argument was that if we want to be able to fight for joy in God, we have to first understand why we don't have joy in God. And he lists five different causes for our spiritual depression. I just want to draw attention to three for us this morning. The first one is this. We have to recognize that our temperament has a big part in our susceptibility to spiritual depression. Our temperament can be a a source or a cause of spiritual depression. God has wired each and every one of us differently. He has made each and every one of us unique. And for some of us, we have a tendency to burn brighter in our spirituality and yet also to sink more deeply in our spirituality at the same time. This isn't a criticism of those people. It isn't even necessarily a hindrance. Paradoxically, it is a great blessing. If we have to work hard to see God, if we have to work harder to experience joy in God, then we have the capacity and the ability to actually reach greater heights of Christian maturity than those who find it a little more natural to have their joy in Christ. It might cause greater work, but also at the same time it leads to a greater reward. Many of us may relate to this idea of temperament causing spiritual depression. If you look at the Bible, you can find examples of those who struggle with this very thing. I think the prophet Elijah is a great example of this. Many of us are familiar with Elijah's uh, competition or his contest, if you will, with the prophets of Baal, described in 1 Kings chapter 18. It was a competition to show who was the true God, who was the real God. And so he called all of the prophets to Baal out to Mount, Mount, uh, excuse me, Mount Carmel. And he said, whoever's God answers with fire is the true God. And the prophets of Baal tried and tried and tried, and God, their God did not answer them. And then Elijah comes forward, he prays, and God answers with fire. 
It was a powerful, powerful story, incredible display of God's uh, presence with Elijah, the fact that God was with him, that God was answering his prayer, and it should have been a moment of assurance for Elijah because it was a moment where God heard him and answered. And then we get to a chapter later. We get to 1 Kings chapter 19, and we find Elijah hiding in the wilderness, scared for his life. He actually pleads with God to kill him, to take away his life, because the death would be better than life. What causes such a a distinct change in Elijah? Well, certainly, the threats of Jezebel, the queen in that day, had something to do with it. But even more so, I think it was Elijah's temperament. See, God had used Elijah in a mighty way, but then the moment something happened, he sunk down to the pits of despair and depression. Elijah was a man who may have been used mightily by God, burned brightly for God, but also struggled with this sense of despair. We could go throughout church history and find other examples of those who struggle with this same sense of despair in their own lives because of their temperament. David Brainerd, he was the first American missionary, lived in the 1700s. He experienced in his diary, he shows how close to God he was at times and yet how distant he felt from God the very next moment. He struggled with spiritual depression because of his temperament. Friends, few people know you better than you and your family. So ask yourself, what is your temperament? It is the temperament of someone like Elijah. Is it as the temperament of someone like David Brainerd? Are you susceptible to spiritual depression? Not because of anything that you have done. Not because of anything that has happened to you, but simply because that's who you are. That's the first area. Second area of, of cause, if you will, are external circumstances. External circumstances can often cause us to sink into spiritual depression. If you look at this psalm, that's exactly what the psalmist is going through. It appears that the psalmist has been exiled from his land and now he lives outside of the promised land. He is mocked among the the pagans that he lives. They, They doubt that his God is real, that he answers him. He is in spiritual depression because of external circumstances. And I think the same is true today. If you look at the news, if you get discouraged about the news of the upcoming election... If you get discouraged about the constant violence that we're seeing, whether it's in Munich or in Turkey or in France or here in the United States, all of the news that we see can weigh heavy on our hearts. It can lead to a loss of joy in God. News of loss, whether it's someone far from us or if it's a loved one, can cause us to lose our joy in Christ. External circumstances are very real and affecting our spirituality. But even more than things that happen far away, I think that the things that happen to us are especially important in our fight against spiritual depression. 
as we live through very real external circumstances that happen to us, it can affect us greatly. Job loss can lead to spiritual depression very, very easily. Tension at home can lead to spiritual depression and a loss of joy. Medical crises certainly can lead to a loss of joy, a questioning of God's presence. One man wrote a book uh, called Rejoicing in Lament, and it is uh, his story of his journey with being diagnosed with incurable cancer. And he describes right after he was diagnosed at a a young age, only in his uh, late 30s with two very young children, he describes how he felt like being in a fog the moments after this. And he describes it this way. He says, less than a week earlier, the doctor spoke the diagnosis to me about which he had no doubt. A cancer of the bone marrow, multiple myeloma, an incurable cancer, a fatal disease. I'd been in a fog ever since. How was I to face each day when my future, which had seemed wide open, had suddenly narrowed? My world seemed to be caving in on itself with fog in each direction I turned so that no light could shine in. Maybe those words resonate with you because you've experienced them. Whether in your own life or in the life of someone that you love, it just feels like you're in the midst of a fog because of the external circumstances that are happening to you and you have no idea where God is in the midst of that. Friends, spiritual depression can very easily be caused by external circumstances. When the pain is so great that we question where God is, And we don't find our joy in him. So that's our second area. And the third cause is unbelief. Unbelief can often cause us to sink into spiritual depression and dryness. The first two were things that we couldn't control. We can't control our temperament. We can't control the things that happen to us. This one is caused by the things that we do. It's rooted in our actions. It's rooted in our mindset. It's rooted in our compromise with the world day by day, bit by bit. It is rooted in our desire to turn our back, whether conscious or unconscious, of our desire to turn our back on God and our search for the truth. Last few months, we have been looking at the story of Jacob in the book of Genesis. And it seems like every single time Jacob takes a step forward, he immediately takes like three steps back. Every single time God works in his life and we have a spiritual breakthrough, he then takes a couple steps back. And why is that? Why is it that this man who loves God or or, or seems to love God loses his joy in God? It's because of his unbelief. More accurately, it is because of his greater desire for the world. He loved the things that the world could give him. And so he loses his joy in Christ or in God because of his complacency. The same thing can happen to us. We can lose our joy in God because we turn our backs on him. Consciously or unconsciously, we become complacent in our faith. And we feel far from God because we have drifted. We have slowly but surely abandoned our commitment to him. Unbelief can be a cause of spiritual dryness and depression temperament, external circumstances, unbelief. Which of these has led 
to your feelings of being far from God. I'll leave it to you to diagnose your lack of joy in God. And oftentimes it's a mixture of these three. But the good news is Psalm 42 tells us there is hope. Tells us that there is hope for people like us when we feel far from God. I mentioned that the psalmist makes five commitments, that the psalmist is doing five different things. And we also should do the exact same things. And I want to be clear these aren't things that we should do in chronological order. These aren't, uh, this isn't a five step process to overcoming our lack of joy in God. It's not like we have to do number one, then number two, then number three. As we battle for joy, we might have to do each of these uh, multiple times or at the same time. We might do number five before number one or number three before number two. The order doesn't matter, but the commitment does. So let's look at this text and see what the psalmist has committed himself to. First, he commits himself to thirst for God. And we also must thirst for God. Take a look at Psalm verse 42 or excuse me, Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. <clears throat> when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Right here at the very beginning, he talks about the fact that he is thirsty for God. He uses a powerful image to open this psalm. He talks about a deer who is thirsty, who is desperate for water. I want you to think back to a time when you were thirsty. Without hot and humid it has been this past week, you don't have to probably think too far back. Thanks to a time when you were thirsty and when you finally got water, you didn't let go of that water bottle. You didn't let go of that cup of water until you had drained it all the way to the bottom. That is the image that is used here. It's an unbearably hot summer day without water. It is a near painful desire to feel cold water on your parched lips. If you want to overcome spiritual depression, first you have to thirst in God. And truth be told, um, that's the reason why we keep it so hot here in the auditorium. It's because we are emotional beings. We are, we are holistic beings. We are connected. And so we figured if we make you sweat, if we make you thirsty, then you're going to want to thirst for God. And we'll see how it works out. It's, it's, a, it's a theory that I'm working on. Um, and, and, and we'll go with that. Uh, we'll, we'll use that as our reason why it's so hot in here. <clears throat> but honestly, the fact that we feel thirsty... The the way that we feel hot and thirsty, that's exactly the way we should feel about God. We should want to return to him. We should want to be thirsty. We should recognize that he is the only one who can quench our thirst. The dryness that we experience in our lives, the uneasiness that seems to reign in our souls can only be satisfied in God. And the psalmist recognizes that. The psalmist is thirsty. Are you? Are you? Let us be a people who are thirsty for God. See, maybe you're not thirsty. Maybe if you're being honest with yourself, you don't really 
thirst for God. Certainly not as a deer thirsts for water. That's okay. Take a step back. Do you want to be thirsty? Do you thirst to be thirsty? Do you want to want God? Do you desire to desire God? This psalm is all about our desire for God. We want to desire God. And maybe you can't desire God right now, but you want to desire him. And that's the first step according to this psalm. We thirst for God. See, I find this psalm so compelling because you can tell that it is written by a man who is in the middle of turmoil. He begins by talking about water. He says, God, I I thirst for you like a deer wants water. And the moment he mentions water, his his mind is brought to the reality of his current experience. He says, God, I want water, but all I have are tears. God, this is what I want, and this is what my current life situation is. The sound of mocking is deafening. But he perseveres. He draws his mind back to a time when he was close to God. He knows that he won't drift back to those thoughts. He won't drift back to thoughts about God. And so he forces himself to focus on God. He perseveres and he turns his focus on God. Our desire to be, thir- uh, to be quenched, uh, to have our thirst quenched in God is not something that we will naturally drift toward. We have to focus our hearts on God. Just like this psalmist does. Whenever his thoughts begin to wander, he snaps them back into focus. Fighting for joy in God is just that. It is a fight. It is something that we must exert a lot of effort in. In the midst of the desert, it takes hard work to get to the cool pool of refreshing water. No matter how long you are in the desert, no matter how long you have to persevere in that desert, keep going. Pick up your weary legs. Focus your wayward mind. Do not give up. Persevere in thirsting for God. That's the first thing. Second commitment that this psalmist makes is to preach to himself. And we also must preach to ourselves. Take a look at verses 5 and 6. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. I think that this psalm, Psalm 5, is the most powerful verse in this psalm. What is it that the psalmist does? In the midst of his despair, he starts talking to himself. That's actually a good thing, to talk to yourself. He looks inward, he addresses his soul, he exhorts himself to take action. He asks his soul why he is downcast. He asks his soul why he is feeling this way, and he says, it is time for you to hope in God. It is time for you to remember who God is. It is time for you to remember that God is your salvation, and that he is not just God, but that he is your God. In our own lives, when we are in the middle of the desert, we must also preach the gospel to ourselves in this way. And we must also exhort ourselves to hope in God. One pastor describing this verse says it this way. The main art in this matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you downcast? What business do you have to be disquieted? You have to preach to yourself. When's the last time that you preached to yourself? 
When is the last time that you encouraged yourself to remember the gospel, to remember the truths of what God has done for you, to remember the truths of who God is, to remember the truths of who you are because of God? Remind yourself of the hope that you have in God. Preach to yourself. Third thing is this, to confess God's sovereignty. Confess God's sovereignty. The sovereignty of God is a a big word that simply means that God is completely and utterly in control. Take a look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Notice how he describes the situation. He describes his situation as one who is constantly being beaten by water, where he's about to go under. He's about to lose his foothold because of these waterfalls and these breakers and these waves. But notice how he describes each and every one of them. He says that they are your waterfalls, your breakers, and your waves. This man knows that every single thing facing him, every single hardship facing him comes from the hand of a loving, gracious, beautiful God. And he confesses God's sovereignty. That's what the book of Job is really all about. The book of Job is uh, about Job facing all of this destruction. And yes, it is Satan, the one who brings this destruction upon him, but he only does so at God's approval. God allows us to experience hardship in our lives. He allows us to experience dry times in our lives. We don't honestly know the reason why. The Bible gives us some answers, some reasons, but it never gives us the full picture. We look at the answer at the end of Job. Job spends 40 chapters talking with God, saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you making me experience all of this pain? And God finally answers him and says, I'm God. You're not. Trust me. God says the exact same thing to us. I'm God. You're not. Trust me. When we are faced with hardship, we have to confess God's sovereignty over our circumstances. We have to recognize that God is the one who is in control. Because when we do that as a confession of our trust in him, we know that he is at work. We may not know how, we may not know why, but we know that God is at work. Trust God's sovereignty. Fourth thing that the psalmist does is to sing and pray. Take a look at verse 8. Sing and pray. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. There's one thing that the Psalms teach us. It is that we are very emotional beings. Our heads are not disconnected from the rest of our bodies. In fact, we oftentimes make decisions with our hearts more than our heads. They're connected, and the psalmist knows this. And so he opens his mouth to sing. He opens his mouth to pray. If you want to overcome your spiritual depression, overcome the the feeling of being in a desert, try singing. Try singing. It doesn't matter if you're a good singer or not. It is a beautiful, simple, powerful way for God to revive our souls. If you find yourself in a place where you can't pray, you just can't put the words together to pray to God, sing your prayers The entire book of Psalms is a book of prayers that are written as songs. If you can't do that, then look at hymns. 
Look at modern day worship songs. Use those as your prayers. Anne Steele was a hymn writer from a couple uh, hundred or so years ago, and she she wrote this uh, one hymn called "Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul." It's a, a beautiful hymn. I just want to read this as her prayer. Dear refuge of my weary soul, on you when sorrows rise, on you when waves of troubles roll, my fainting hope relies. To you I tell each rising grief, for you alone can heal. Your word can bring a sweet relief for every pain I feel. But oh, when gloomy doubts prevail, I fear to call you mine. The spring of comfort seems to fail and all my hopes decline. Yet gracious God, where shall I flee? You are my only trust. And still my soul would cleave to thee, though prostrate in the dust. Anne Steele describes the situation where she finds herself far from God. She's tried going to God for comfort, and she doesn't feel comforted. She says there in verse 2, well, where else am I going to go? And she turns back to God. And the, and the, the rest of the hymn is extremely powerful um, as well as she describes the, the despair that she is wrestling with in her life. Sing, pray. These things turn our affections to God. They focus our hearts to be more on God. Use these tools in your battle for joy in God. Final thing is this. Ask God why. Ask God why. Take a look at verses 9 and 10. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do, you, why do I go mourning because of the opposition of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? When you find yourself in the muck, when you find yourself in the mire, bring those feelings to God. Tell God, I can't feel you. I don't sense you. It seems like you have abandoned me. You are nowhere to be found. Where are you, God? It seems like you have forgotten me. Come back. God is big enough to handle your doubts. He's big enough to handle your struggles, your desire to be closer to him. And notice the psalmist doesn't do this in a critical way. He doesn't do this in a critical way. Just a verse earlier, he talks about God's steadfast love being with him. He's saying, God, I know that your steadfast love is with me, but I don't feel it. I feel far from you, like you've abandoned me. Come back, Lord God. Ask God why when you struggle through spiritual depression. Ask God why. Don't bottle up those questions, but share them with him. Bring your protests to God. Because when we bring our whys to God, it actually shows our trust in him. It shows our trust in him because why else would you bring them? Why else would you bring them to him unless you trusted him? When you find yourself in the desert, do not neglect asking why. This psalmist commits to thirst for God. He commits to preach to himself, to confess God's sovereignty, to pray to God, to sing to God, and to ask God why. And what happens next? What happens at the end of the psalm after all of the things that he has done, surprisingly, but honestly fittingly, nothing. Nothing happens that we can see. There is no happy ending in this psalm. We just get verse 11. 
the same exhortation that we find in verse 5. It says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see, the way this psalm ends tells us that it is a mistake to look at this as a five-step process to getting out of the spiritual desert. It's just a mistake to look at it that way. Sometimes we thirst. Sometimes we pray. Sometimes we sing. Sometimes we preach. Sometimes we ask God. Sometimes we uh, confess God's sovereignty, and we still find ourselves in the middle of the desert, just like the psalmist here. And so just like the psalmist here, keep going. Keep preaching to yourself. That's what this psalm is all about. It's all about the gospel, really. It's all about the fact that we cannot revive ourselves. It is the gospel alone that revives a cold heart. It is the gospel alone that revives a cold heart. You cannot wake yourself up. I cannot wake you up. Another preacher can't wake you up, but Jesus can wake you up. The gospel can wake you up. The gospel can revive your cold heart. You see, this psalm might not have a happy ending, but there is indeed hope. And that hope is found only in God. It is a trust found only in God. And so if you find yourself in the middle of the pit, you find yourself in despair this morning, take heart because there is hope and his name is Jesus. As we close, let's take a look at the last part of verse 2. Our, the translation that we use says, when, when shall I come and appear before God? The, the Hebrew literally says, when shall I come and see the face of God? When shall I come and see the face of God? Friends, the good news of the gospel is that in Christ we have seen the face of God. It is in Christ that we do have hope in God. It is in Jesus that God is truly our salvation. This isn't just a salvation that's a one-time experience, but it's the salvation that works on our behalf each and every day, saving us from the despair of our lives. And so preach the gospel to yourself. Confess God's sovereignty. Thirst for God. Sing, pray, ask God why. Because the gospel alone revives your cold heart. Let's pray. Father, we are so very thankful for this psalm. We are thankful for the hope that it gives us in the midst of the despair we might experience. The times when we feel far from you. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to be like the psalmist here in Psalm 42. That we would thirst for you, God. Help us to get back to where we once were. And God, if we're not in that spot right now, first of all, I just say thank you. And God, I pray that you would give us the grace to continue to seek after you, to continue to preach the gospel to ourselves, whether we're in the valley or on this the mountaintop. Presentation in of Jesus' Crosswinds name, Church. amen. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.